Well, we're back and back with tons to talk about. Somehow, Chelsea have managed to do the unimaginable in losing to a promoted side, but also beating the best team in Europe at the moment, all within a matter of a few days. No, we did not play typical sorry ball. And no, it wasn't pretty against Man City. But guess what? It was typical Chelsea. As bipolar, unpredictable, and shaky as this team may seem, they have heart. Who would have thought? This week, Sam is out doing something more important than talking Chelsea with his brothers. But it's okay, because we have the Venezuelan powerhouse. And no, I'm not talking about Solomon Rondon. I'm talking about Roman Empire's very own Andres Velasco. Andres, what's up, man? We have so much to talk about. This weekend was amazing as a Chelsea fan, but on top of that, we had the Super Classico being an instant like classic in the history yes. of football. And you mentioned Venezuela. My boy Joseph Martinez finished a career season by winning the MLS with Atlanta United. So can't really complain much about this weekend. Now, Wolves was a little bit different, but I'm sure we're about to start talking about that. Hey, something something crazy, maybe like way out of left field. But as I was watching the MLS Cup, um, I thought to myself, hey, maybe this guy wouldn't be so bad in the Premier League. Maybe maybe not for Chelsea, but like maybe for one of those promoted sides that's looking for a sneaky striker edition in January, someone that needs goals, maybe like a Crystal Palace. Oh, man, I would love to see Joseph go to the EPL. I think the perfect place for him, and, and this is just me being selfish, would be somewhere like Bournemouth where they're trying to play good football, yeah. but I'll take him at any team in the Premier League just to see him kind of come back to Europe after uh, he left Torino to go to the MLS, so prime, I, I would take him. Prime age as well, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, why, why don't we get right into this Chelsea versus Wolves match, because I know we're going to spend most of the pod talking about the City game, but um, just going through the starting lineup really quick. So we have Kepa and Goal. Uh, Rudiger and Andreas Christensen, who replaced David Luiz in a center of defense. We had Marcus Alonso out on the left, Dave on the right. Sesk was playing the Regista role uh, with N'Golo Kante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek playing right in front of him. And our front three composed of Morata, Hazard, and Williams. So, I mean, I guess the story of this game was uh, Chelsea had 17 total shots, only three on target, 71% possession, we completely dominated the game for about the first 55 minutes, as Sari said. And he was actually quoted after the match saying, quote, I think that we played very well for 55 minutes. After the goal, it was an accident because we were in, in full control of the match. We were suddenly a different team. I don't know why. I'm really very worried, not for the result, but for the fact that we didn't respond to the first goal. So, Andres, I guess my opening question to you is – is this shots fired, or was this shots fired to the team prior to the City match? Is this Sari's version of a rally cry? Oh, it has to be. I mean, you don't—yes, we're not like City and Liverpool where we're touted as like the favorites to win the league, but we're Chelsea. We should not be losing to a team that was on, what, like six games without winning a game? Yeah. It's, it, it definitely was, and, you know, to go from quote to quote, like, Sorry, reacted the way I feel like any coach would react. And, and Rudiger was saying that after the Wolves game, like, sorry, was terrifying, that he was just going absolutely ballistic. And he mentioned that, like, the day after, he was, like, just calm again. Like, he, he collected himself. But he made it very clear that 
it's a mentality thing for Chelsea and that they need to believe in themselves to be able to go into the city match in the weekend and, and turn things around. So it's not the first time Sorry questions Chelsea's mentality, but I feel like the team needed him to step away from his likable, relaxed self and really just lay one on them. So I think it was appropriate and very needed because this performance was just ridiculous. See, I, I guess my thing is with Sari is that he's he's a very refreshing manager. He doesn't bullshit. He doesn't uh he, he doesn't put stories out in the press just to get publicity. He doesn't deflect questions. He's pretty blatantly honest um, in any interview he's done so far. So I believe what Rudiger said about Maurizio Sari, um, about him going completely ballistic the day of the, uh, the day of the match, and 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 I, and I believe he invited every player into his office for about five to ten minutes apiece, gave them a little spiel on you know what exactly happened just to pick their brains a bit. I love that. And I, I think Sari actually hits the nail on the head here when he says, I don't know why, I'm really very worried, not for the result, but for the fact we didn't respond to the first goal. And I, you alluded to that whole mentality issue. Past managers that we've had, uh, Jose Mourinho, uh, Antonio Conte, they don't really talk about the team mentality too much as much as they talk about, oh, well, my players aren't good enough. Or, oh, I didn't get my center back. Or, oh, I didn't get my central, central midfielder or my winger or whatever it may be. And Sari's very straight to the point. He's confused as hell, just like we are, because he probably walked into that Chelsea dressing room his first day at Cobham, looked around and said, look at this. I got guys like David Luiz. I got guys like Gary Cahill, Azpilicueta, Eden Hazard, Cesc Fabregas, N'Golo Conte, guys that have won trophies, guys that are experienced, players that have been around the block before. Um, and then he sees them struggle during the season, and, and, and he's wondering why. He wants to get to the bottom of, why is there this – why does their form fluctuate so much? And, and why can't the team go out and perform consistently for an extended period of time? And, um, I, I mean, I guess it's worrying for us as the fans, but, I mean, are you worried at this point, especially after sitting the man, seeing the Man City result? Was that result, I guess, was it a fluke or was it a matter of the players realizing, well, maybe we're not that good and we actually have to step our game up? Yeah, I think it was just a react, a good reaction. I don't know if it was a fluke because I feel like it was one of those games. And I will get again, we'll get into more detail of it. But the first half, I was like, oh, we got lucky. But then after the full 90, that second half reaction after we got that first goal, I thought Chelsea was the better team. I don't care what Pep thinks, but I really do think that we deserved that win. Um, we have the talent to do those things, but in typical Chelsea fashion, we just can't do it over a full season without having like a fluke game, which in this case I think was the Wolves game. Um, it's, and vintage, again, it's vintage Chelsea, isn't it? Oh, like that classic Chelsea where it's just kind of like we go somewhere, we get smashed by some team that has no business beating us, and then we go ahead and beat a team like Man City. Yeah, and, and to kind of take a step back and look at it as a week overall and how we thought that week was going to play out, we all mentioned that we would have loved to come out with three points this week. We just thought that the three points were going to be by beating Wolves and losing mm -hmm. to City. So, again, Chelsea just uh, rolling something, the wild card on us again. And, yeah, we beat the champions of England, which um, before we move on to that game, I just want to say Loftus-Cheek did bag another goal. Mm -hmm. And, yes, it took a slight deflection. But one thing that guy does is he creates chances, and that's the one, like, nice – 
thing that he brings that the other options at left center mid don't is that he just works. He doesn't wait for the chance to come to him. He creates those himself. So having, uh, that's, having someone that could pop a shot from 25 or 30 yards out just to create that half chance. I mean, God, how valuable is that to the squad? Like it's guys like Ross Barkley and Loftus Cheek are the only two players that could do that in our squad right now. But I mean, looking back in the last maybe three or four years, I don't think we had another midfielder that was even willing to look at goal from 30 yards out. Yeah, I mean, at least not on a consistent basis. We had Matt Matic do it once a season um, yeah. for for his, his short stint back. But yeah, like since Lampard and even David Luiz in his first stint, we didn't have a guy who confidently took shots from, you know, 20, 30 yards out. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's, uh, it's definitely an encouraging sign that Loftus-Cheek is finally starting to find his feet in his Chelsea squad. So hopefully we see more of him in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess let's move on to this Man City game because I mean, there is so much to talk about. So I'll just go through the starting lineup really quick, and then uh, and then we'll get into our first topic. So we had we had Kepa in goal, um, Dave and Alonso uh, at right back and left back. David Luiz came back um, and retained a spot next to Rudiger. Uh, Jorginho, Conte, Kovacic made up our midfield. And then this is where it gets interesting because our front three was actually Pedro, William, and Hazard. Hazard playing the false nine role. So before we get into Eden Hazard and and, and how he did and how our attack did uh, in this match, um, I want to talk about someone who actually I thought was a man of the match. And I want to do a quick shout out to Atmanan Rindandi uh, or Rindani, sorry. Um, he's a, he, he's a big time listener. He's always interacting with us on Twitter, but he was actually the only person to vote Dave as man of the match in my post match poll. And nobody else that voted even nobody else that voted noticed that Dave wasn't even on the list. Um, I think I had David Louise, uh, I had David Louise, Rudiger, Hazard, Conte. and Conte. And he was the only one that noticed Dave. So uh, shout out to him. Um, that's fucking awesome. So, I mean, I guess you could call Dave Mr. 300 now. He has 300 Chelsea appearances, 13 tackles, 13 as in one three, five interceptions, two clearances, won both of his aerial duels. I mean, the man is a fucking machine. Was this the game where he officially reclaims his throne as the best 1v1 defender in the Premier League? I mean, there's absolutely no Chelsea bias in me saying that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's what I always thought was his best attribute. But after this game, Dave for sure owns a bit of real estate in Leroy Sané's head because he was non-existent. And I mean, the guy had to be pulled, I think, like in the 52nd minute, like didn't couldn't even get a, a touch in the second half before Pep was like, all right, I've had enough. So, yeah, props to Aspie, man. He had a hell of a game. Um, I think. The way we played and we were kind of like absorbing the pressure played to his advantage because he had Conte and Pedro operating a little closer to him. So he felt like he could be a little bit more, you know, gritty and and get in on those one on one situations, not afraid of making a mistake that could, you know, lead to a huge running lane behind him. So, yeah, this was an awesome performance from Dave true captain's performance and it was very needed after the wolves game so i'm very happy that you know dave was able to pull this through. I'm, as we record i'm actually wearing my ass billy quetta jersey so <laughs> see something about dave i mean 13 tackles that is just i mean that's conte-esque isn't it 
Yeah. Or, or at least the Conte of last season. But 13 tackles is just no joke. He actually attempted 17 total, which is still Jesus. completely absurd. So, like, the usual Premier League highs for the week in terms of tackles is, like, somewhere between, like, 8 and 10 tackles a game, right? This is mm-hmm. 13. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. As someone that was a defender for my whole life, that was uh, – that's just – that's music, isn't it? That's poetry in motion. Um, it's absolutely nuts. I it, I was just uh, talking to you guys in the group text that I thought Bakayoko's numbers were big recently when he had seven tackles in a game. So just to see that number so high against such high quality opposition is is amazing to see. He's he's really starting to embrace his role in this sorry team. I think. Um, you know he he's I I think he's starting slowly to become Mister Reliable again. You know, beginning of the season, we were all kind of worried because if you asked any Chelsea fan prior to this season, what do you think about Dave? Everybody would say something along the lines of, oh, he's a 7 out of 10 every match. Mm-hmm. He's a guarantee. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him. And he seemed to have a hard time in the system. But today or today on uh, on Saturday, he was absolutely phenomenal. And someone else that was just as great as Dave was David Luiz, um, of all people. Uh, the source of all of our confusion, I guess you could say. So 42 of 49 passes, that's 86% completion rate from a center back. Um, won five out of five out of his six aerial duels, seven clearances, and he put the he put the icing on the cake with that uh, with that little flicked header. So I mean, I guess why don't we see this David Luiz every week? What gives? <laughs> I mean, that's the give and take, isn't it? We we don't know what it is about Luis, but he for sure shows up for big games, man. I, obviously, 2012 final in the Champions League, amazing. Um, I can think of the game where he was actually against us, where he was solely responsible for eliminating Chelsea from the Champions League when he was at the PSG. Um, there's, there's, this guy just, I, he had a crucial free kick to tie Liverpool and Anfield under Conte. Like the guy is is clutch, and he this is where his leadership and his grit can come. Um, I think again because the way we were playing defensively, like as a unit, it really helped him out. He was never a uh, kind of dragged to the to the bylines to defend out there, so he was a lot more in his comfort zone. But the thing that I want to give him most props for is is his ability to defeat the press uh, this weekend. Like I think the biggest thing. Uh, and and that he brought to this game was that long, accurate pass to beat the crazy good Man City press. Uh, his passes, his long passes were extremely accurate. Uh, one of them led to the Conte goal where he found Pedro on the right side. So he not only was crucial to building that goal, he had that insane header where he's kind of jumping and he had to like flick the ball backwards. Like everything about his performance this week was just like, damn. I had nothing else to say about that. I was just like, damn. Yeah, see, the, I, you hit the nail on the head. David Luiz has this ability to show up for the big games. And when I think of all the big matches he's ever played in, um, even being the error-prone, you know, daydreaming center back at times that he can be, I think the Champions League final where he basically played on one leg I think the Atletico Madrid match in the Champions League last season where we won at uh, in Madrid. And then I think of games like this where he just – and you know what? Even uh, – was it two years ago or was it last year where 
Aguero decided to kick, to kick the shit out of him um, on the byline at the end of the game at the bridge. Uh, and they had like, or it was two years ago, because that's when we two had Nathaniel ago. Chalaba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, that, that was the day I fell in love with Chalaba, when, <laughs> when he stood up to, uh, who was it? Was it Fernandinho? Or? Yeah, yeah. It was a very similar performance. We won that game 3-1. to one, um, Super gritty. At backs the against the wall. Was it at the Etihad? I don't no, know. no, no. It was, no, no. It was, it was at the bridge. bridge as well. That's right. Yeah, and, and it you know he just has this ability to show up for the games, and I mean you talk about his passing ability. How many center backs in the world can ping a seventy-yard ball like that with that kind of accuracy and that kind of efficiency? I mean, I'm thinking guys like you know uh, Benucci. I'm thinking guys like maybe Virgil Van Dyke. I'm thinking, you know, I, I I can't even imagine another one. Sometimes Ramos, but he he's even hit or miss at times. Yeah, I'd say five guys tops. The other name that came to mind was Boateng for Bayern, that he yeah. can kind of yeah. play that pass once in a while. But that's that's a tr- that's a trait you don't see often in center backs. Mm-hmm. It's a more modern kind of thing, but at the same time, we have one of the few that can do it so consistently. See, a lot of people get confused when he's included in a squad, but. I mean, if you're an opposing manager and you see that Sarri is putting out David Luiz every week, I mean, you have to game plan to sort of not necessarily stop David Luiz from distribute from distributing, but now you got to look out for that extra long ball. You got to look out for that runner out wide who's on the opposite side of the pitch because David Luiz has the ability to find, and as long as they're within those four corners of the field, I mean, he could pretty much find you anywhere. So that's that's something that's completely irreplaceable, and this kind of ties in with my next question. So, I mean, we're all pretty familiar with this contract situation. Um, David Luiz wants to renew with the club. He's been vocal about it. Um, he wants a multi-year deal, but we all know what the club's policy is for players uh, over the age of 30. It's uh, one, uh, one-year deals, generally. We did that with Bronislav Ivanovic. We did it with uh, we did it most recently with um, Gary Cahill, and uh, now we re-signed Aspilicueta, who's 29, on a three-year deal, which is interesting to me. But um, I guess David Luiz is not excluded like Dave was. So um, how badly or how important? is it that we re-sign David Luiz? And and I'm going to have you answer this question on a scale of 1 to 10. If it's – oh, man. Okay, so for me, the perfect deal for David Luiz that makes sense for Chelsea is a two-year deal. And if that's what's on the table to break this rule, I think you got to put at least an 8 just because of the leadership he brings and the fact that he can be a good coach to the next center back that comes in to play sorry ball. Because at the end of the day, Sarri's going to want a center back who can pass like David Luiz does. So to me, it's an 8 out of 10. Like I, I think Chelsea really need to maybe overlook this just this one time. Or I don't know. I I think times has changed. And I feel like maybe this is the time to do it. I know Giroud was technically a one-and-a-half-year deal upon signing, even though he was over 30. So maybe we can work something out that way. He wants to stay. And and again, just like Aspie, where he has the three-year deal, it doesn't mean that he has to be the starter next season or the season after that. But we have to think about it this way. We're going to be back in the Champions League next season. Like that, that has to be the goal. And you need leaders, people who have been there before, and depth in general. So I don't see how David Luiz is a potential first option, but most likely a second option is a bad thing. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm going to go with the six on this one. Um, okay. My number is low, not because I don't like David Luiz. Yes, I get a heart attack uh, every time he's stuck in a 1v1 situation, but you said it. A guy with that experience who's been in the Premier League, who's won trophies at the club, um, who has a familiarity for the culture. He has a great rapport with the fans. I mean, of course, if he was going to re-sign to a one-year deal tomorrow, um, I'm pretty sure the general reaction would be a positive one. Um, but at the same time, if you're not having David Luiz start every week, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for him to step in and deputize sort of how Gary Cahill's doing what what Gary Cahill's doing now, where he's only playing in cup matches against pub sides. Um, mm-hmm. Those those older guys they need to they need to they need to be fresh. They need to have uh, a couple games under their belt. When when they put when they put together three or four games in a row and perform well and play well, that's that's what they build on. I mean, I guess that's what you could say keeps them going. You can't necessarily throw them right into the fire while they're cold because they're a little bit slower. It takes them a while for their for, for them to get going. If they're not getting consistent playing time, to get, the game comes a lot slower to them, and they have to catch up with it, and it just becomes an uphill battle from there. So, I mean, if we could get David Luiz one-year deal, um, maybe bring in a new center back either in January or over the summer – um, then we have a legitimate center back battle and I, you could call me crazy, but David Luiz still does have an outside shot to be Chelsea's center back, uh, the beginning of next season. I will not be surprised if he does start at center back the first game next season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a six out of 10, but I do want to move on. We're still talking about the defense because I, this was a highlight of the game. Um, I want to talk about the ball movement. A lot of talk going around about uh, Chelsea's build-up play, playing out of the back, and, uh, and and how efficient we were at doing it, even though we didn't control the game per se. So uh, City pressured us right from the off. And Andres, I believe I texted you after about 15 or 20 minutes saying how ridiculous it is that City can press so well um, in our defensive third while only utilizing one defensive midfield player. So like having David Luiz or David Luiz, having David Silva and Bernardo Silva in the center of midfield, two guys that are not even above five seven, I would say, pressure us the way they did and take the ball off of us the way they did is absolutely ridiculous. And it, it, it just shows the genius of Pep. And like I'm not kissing Pep's ass. I know this is a Chelsea podcast and fuck Man City, but <laughs> you have to give them credit for the first 20 or 25 minutes of this game. But you also have to give credit to our whole back four who showed patience on the ball. We were able to relieve the pressure because of it. And and, and something that I noticed, and, and there are videos going around on Twitter if you search far enough, Man City deployed a similar tactic that we saw from Everton and a similar tactic that we also saw from Wolves, particularly in the second half on Sesk, where they box in our Regista player or the player that's in that Regista role. So basically what they did is they had whoever their number nine was and David Silva, uh, basically a two-man screen, and this is off goal kicks, a two-man screen in front of Jorginho, so he wasn't able to get the ball. They had their wingers press really high up. They had Bernardo Silva standing directly behind Jorginho right alongside Fernandinho. So there was essentially a box around Jorginho. And that took him out of the equation for most of the build-up play. And something I noticed during the game was 
that if it wasn't David Luiz who was on the ball, because that's obviously our second option when Jorginho can't dictate from that deep, we usually see David Luiz step up into the midfield. I saw a lot of Kepa on the ball this game. And yeah, I mean, he did give it away a few times, but he controlled himself. And I thought he actually did pretty well considering the circumstances. So my question, I'm finally getting to it. There is a question. <laughs> is the team finally getting the hang of sorry ball in terms of its buildup play? Um, yes. So I want to touch back to a quote that came out from Alonzo after the Wolves game. And it may be going back to that whole mentality thing. And it's that with sorry ball, you have to have, you mentioned it, the, the key word is patience. And part of defeating a, the press is inviting the press. Like the moment one guy gets too eager is when you can just take your chance and kill them. Um, I thought that the first 20 minutes we were overwhelmed. It was just like too many bad passes left and right. And then I'm not sure what kind of switched leading up to when our goal happened, but something did and it, it stayed that way the rest of the game where I feel like the team was, we were operating with like five players as far back as like level with the box. Like our defenders were not very far from the, the box, super close to Kepa, but those were those little short passes until finally Leroy Sané or Raheem Sterling stepped out of position and then boom, next thing you know, three passes later, we're at midfield. So I think if the guys can stay patient and believe, again, believe in themselves, don't get desperate and play a long ball, like you know your passes have a purpose, um, they'll come through. And in terms of Jorginho, yeah, he had like the least amount of touches he's had in like two of his – all of his games at Chelsea. But one thing I noticed is that he was playing that quarterback role where he was pointing, he was telling people where to go. So he was very vocal and we finally were able to figure out a way to play away from him. I thought Chelsea did a really good job of targeting what is city's left side with Leroy Sané, David Silva and Fabian Delph. Cause Sané wasn't doing a great job defensively. Um, Aspie beat him with a pass. Like, I feel like every time he was making a pass down the right side to either Pedro or Conte was going through Leroy Sané. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, Conte and Pedro and even Hazard when he came and joined the attack were making uh, Laporte and Fabian Delft's lives hell. So just a week ago, I was talking about how when we can focus a little bit of the attention on the left side but then get the ball over to that right side, we can, we can really kill people that way because they just get too lured into that left side, underestimating what those three guys on the right can do. And sure enough, that's how our first goal came up. You know, uh, the key with sorry ball in general, um, besides inviting the press, is having multiple passing options and having those triangles all over the pitch. And it seemed like for the first time our back line – and our whole midfield, not just Jorginho or not just one side of our midfield, but it seemed like our whole entire back line and our whole entire midfield three was in such unison throughout the whole game whenever we were playing the ball out of the back. And, and maybe, maybe Pep was being a bit uh, naive in continuously pressing us because we were being patient with it. Every, I remember specifically there was one play where it was in the second half the ball comes out to Aspi on the right, and you see Sané drop off of Aspi. He gives him the space. And instead of Aspi stepping into that space and maybe, you know, playing a, playing like a, a clipped through ball or, or, or trying to find Hazard or, or one of the wingers and forcing, 
He actually turned around and played it right back to Keppa. And then Keppa got the ball at his feet, and then he waited. He was almost at a standstill for like a solid two or three seconds before one of the City players started pressuring him again. And then that's when he started spraying the ball out wide. So if City's not going to pressure – if any team is not going to pressure us, there's a blatant tactic on Sarri's part in telling the players, if no one's going to pressure you guys, you sit back. And we'll just keep passing the ball. We'll keep passing the ball between the four of us as long as we need to until someone on their team fucks up. We're not going to be the ones to fuck up in possession. They're going to be the ones to fuck up on their press, which is interesting to me because in past managers like Antonio Conte, I mean, what was his tactic for getting the ball out of the back? Play it to the wings and have one of the wingers just hoof it up the sideline and let's hope Hazard or Pedro gets on the end of it. That was yep. our tactic under Antonio Conte. We never had this whole idea of actually playing the ball out of the back. And something I noticed was interesting. The only player or, or the player that Man City was not allowing that space to step into was David Luiz. Every time David Luiz got the ball, there would be somebody pressuring him almost right away. But, I mean, it, it's very obvious why they did that because David Luiz could pick out that pass in a, you know, a split second. He's just that good. But I thought it showed a lot of respect to us. It showed – and Pep knows this because Pep knows all about ball playing, you know, center halves and, mm-hmm. and, and right backs, you know, that are ball playing as well as their left back, whatever it may be. He knows all about this. So I thought that it was very interesting that Pep actually deployed that tactic. Hey, we have to pressure them when either Kepa or David Luiz gets the ball. If it's going to be Rudiger or if it's going to be Aspi out wide, we're going to let them have that space. But it was primarily that left-hand side and Keppa where they were pressuring us more often than not. And maybe a big reason for it was the way Aspie was playing. Um, maybe it was because if they could pick us off on our left-hand side, there's not as much cover with David Luiz as opposed to if you pick off Aspilaqueta, you have to get through Rudiger. Who knows? But um, yeah, just something interesting that I noticed because this, is, this was a first game where in a while actually, probably since – I want to say since like Huddersfield where we played, you know, there were certain sequences of play where I was just like, wow, that is incredible. And you could tell how well drilled the team is at it. So I want to move on. I want to talk about our midfield and I specifically want to talk about our defensive shape because something I noticed uh, during the match was N'Golo Conte was actually dropping off into a more central position when City was in possession um, and Jorginho was actually playing in front of him alongside Kovacic at times. Um, so it kind of created like this 4-1, 4-1, or 4-5-1, if you will. And the stats don't show it, but City's midfield was completely neutralized. And maybe it was because of that switch. Maybe it, be- maybe it wasn't. David Silva was quiet. Bernardo Silva, I can't really remember a time where he played a killer pass or, or, or really threatened us. Uh, Fernandinho unable to surge forward. He's a guy that likes to make those late runs into the box. I mean, what did you find most impressive about the midfield's performance? Yeah, I thought that this is the kind of thing that Sari mentioned after the Tottenham game where Conte needs to learn when it's time to pressure because usually he wants actually Conte to be beside Jorginho further centrally. So I think it's one of those things, like you said, where we're getting more uh, strong defensively uh, and tactically in, in without possession. But in this case, what I wanted to say is just kind of knowing when to lay off the press because the moment one player gets beat on the press, 
that leads to it's like a chain reaction because then the next person has to step into a space they're not supposed to and then the next person and that's where city just kills you like if you give city that opportunity where they see a window of three passes like just play out in front of them that's that's ending as a goal and the way i saw it was that maybe city got out of the back with like where they would beat our three forwards but then they could they had a really hard time going past our three mids and then our line of four. So it was this weird thing where, yes, our front three were relentlessly pressuring, but but the guys in the middle, Kovacic, Jorginho, and Conte, were really kind of more methodical as to when they would also press. And I just thought that was extremely important for a team that can so quickly just, you know, kill you with that one pass after you make one slight mistake. I want to talk about Kovacic, your boy Kovacic. Um, we, meaning me and Sam, have been giving him a little bit of slack on the pod. Not necessarily slack, but rather another preference at that position. But we do talk about his impact in big games. So in Liverpool, he did have the assist to, uh, to Hazard for the opening goal. Um, and in this game, the guy was everywhere, both defensively and in possession. And uh, Andres, I think you even retweeted one of his, uh, like that little nice double pullback move, oh, sort of man. like that L turn. Yes. And it was beautiful. And uh, this is something that we know he has in his locker. and We know he could put together these performances. So I'm not going to ask the question, does he need to play in big games? But is this the type of performance he needs to keep giving us in big games to keep his spot? Because, you know, uh, we see how impactful Ross Barkley is when he's in form, and we still haven't seen the best of Ruben Loftus Cheek. So I, I, I guess the the caveat to my question is he doesn't score, um, and, and and he's not really the assister. He's more of the assist to the assister. Mm-hmm. So does he need more output in terms of goals and assists um, to nail down that spot and make it his own? Or uh, is he just going to be brought in for these big games just to, you know, maintain possession and be a little bit more uh, defensive? Um, so I just want to clarify, yes, I love Kovacic, but I also think that this season Loftus-Cheek has changed my mind. And I think that if he continues his level of play, that he should be the guy we go forward with at left center mid. Just because the more I think about it, the more I think Kovacic's price tag is going to be maybe kind of too high. But in terms of these games and in terms of where the team is at learning sorry ball, when we play these teams that know how to press, meaning the Tottenham's, Cities, um, Liverpool, and maybe even Arsenal now who have picked up their form, I think he's very, very important. For one, he's stronger defensively. Even though he's a shorter guy, the dude is stout, knows how to put a body in there. His dribbling under pressure, I mean, everybody's seeing that highlight. Like, that's not unusual. It's not like, oh, my God, where did that come from? Like, the guy, like people were saying at the beginning of the season, like, he's wearing a long sleeve, number 17. It it reminded them a little bit of first-year hazard. Like, that's the kind of thing he can do when teams are relentlessly pressing. And, yes, he doesn't have the assists right now. But at the same time, the way our forwards have been playing, can we really blame him that much? So it's true. uh, I think that Kovacic is is the guy right now who I'd be happy if if Barkley or Loftus-Cheek end up passing him because that means they've learned where their weaknesses are and seen those weaknesses be strengths of Kovacic and be like, okay, this is how I should be doing those things. So 
the way I see it, Kovacic is a great kind of band-aid to the issue at left center mid. If we can somehow keep him while not jeopardizing the future of the club, I'm all for it. But for this season, yeah, this guy's going to be huge against the top six. And then eventually when we're, you know, deep into the Europa League and we're facing higher level competition, I think he'll be important. Um, like I said, I think Sarri's not afraid to pull him in the 60th minute, fully knowing that he's not going to get you a goal. So luckily we have a manager that does understand that is his weakness. But in a game that we might just scrape by and get one goal, that's the guy I want in the midfield. You know, something interesting I was thinking while watching the game. Um, obviously, transfer rumors are starting to come around. It is December. Um, we're not going to talk about transfer rumors anytime soon because, I mean, they're all pretty much bullshit until you actually see someone in the actual kit. But uh, I read something about Tottenham maybe being interested in Kovacic as a Dembele replacement. Now, it's a rumor. I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it came from a valid source. I just... Saw it on Twitter, and I thought it was interesting. Um, and then I thought to myself, you know, how realistic is this? Because Kovacic's price tag is probably going to be within the 40 to 50 million pound range. That's that's the number being thrown around. That's within Tottenham's means. If they want to keep Pochettino, they have to make another big name signing to, to, to get them to, to, to push on. Uh, we all know their state. You know, if if I, I genuinely think if they don't win any trophies this year, he's off the Madrid. I think it's a pretty much a done deal. I think I think he's kind of regretting not going earlier, but um, he suits that system so damn well. And just the thought of Kovacic going to Spurs under a guy like Poch terrifies me. But that's just a side note. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think I think Kovacic's future is either at Chelsea or Madrid. Like, well, like well, I mentioned I, I, before. I think he's done at Madrid. Well, yeah, and we I know we we mentioned the, the the Instagram post and how much he's talked up London and Chelsea. I just because you mentioned it, we don't know who the manager is there. I I think it's all up in the air still. I think that knowing where Madrid is right now and also knowing their need for a big splash, I feel like it's a little naive to think that 40 million is all they'll ask for, especially because he came into the Premier League and adapted so quickly. So like yeah, I think I think it's going to be a little bit higher of a price. I I think 60 is lowballing it completely in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And just based on what the market is, who they're trying to sell to and fully knowing that the Premier League has money. So like he might be 40 to 50 if you're selling him to Serie A, but you can add a 20 million tax just because you're a Premier League team. Um but but, and yeah. but then but then it gets to the point where I mean if we have to spend 60 or 70 million to sign Kovacic, does it become worth it? I mean, that, you look at you look at Loftus Cheek, you look at right. Barkley, you look at Mason Mount, possibly Ampadu who could step into the midfield. I mean, we have depth there. All, I don't think it's that, imperative. Right, all that plus a full summer with Sari. There's no international tournaments. We don't have. I think Copa America would be the only thing, but none of those guys are South American. So, yeah, we. I agree with you. If it this isn't a we must sign them, but if the price is right and it makes sense, I and mean, it's like a. You know, if if the stars align, I think you need to go for him. You got to do it, yeah. Yeah, so I don't think that decision is going to be made in January. So I think it's time to to talk a little bit about our front three. Let's do it. So uh, I mean, obviously we had Eden Hazard start at the false nine, a position that surprisingly he's actually not too unfamiliar with. Um, he's been deployed there more than a handful of times for Chelsea in the last few years. So um, he had two assists. 
and he didn't get the ball much. He got the ball 30-something times. I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, it was in the 30s. But whenever he did get the ball, and I have a note here that I took during the game, whenever he got the ball, he looked dangerous and creative every single time he got played defeat. So um, I guess the main issue here is not could Hazard play the false nine because he can, and he did, and he did it very well this weekend. But I guess I, I guess it's more about uh, Murata being dropped and uh, only having one striker in the full 18-man squad and him starting off the bench and Olivier Giroud. So is this front three of Pedro, Willian, and Hazard or any uh, variation of Hazard playing the false nine, is that something we can expect to see again? And uh, when do you think we're going to see it again? Um, I think that this is going to be the go-to front three for... Again, just when you play Kovacic against those top six, I think this is what we're going to see as well. Uh, I think Liverpool will see this. I think Arsenal will see this. I think United will still play Murat Giroud just because they're a little bit more your typical sit-back-and-wait kind of team. But those teams are going to try to bring it to us. Uh, I think we'll see a fluid front three. Uh, as much as Hazard succeeded in his role, I really want him to have more touches on the ball. I know that City's just that good, and it was a little bit harder. Um, I guess I'm just a purist and want Hazard on the left. But putting him in the middle allows William to be on the left. And as I've been preaching, that's the only place I rather I, I want to see William at as well, just because I don't rate him as a right winger. Um, and then one thing that Pep mentioned that was a reason behind Hazard being in the middle is that William and Pedro will do the defensive work. So maybe I just need to see it a little bit more just to kind of like get used to it because I just have bad taste in my mouth from when Conte played him in the middle. But yeah, I think we're going to see this again for sure. And I think we'll see it for a more complete performance rather than just a second half performance. So that's, that's just my take on that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing this again. My only concern is that I feel like we're trying this – or I, we did try it at a good time. I mean obviously we got the results, so it, it, it's you can't say that it was uh, bad timing. But um, it does kind of stink that we don't really have that depth at the winger position that we want to um, because you know the, the December fixtures, I mean we're going to be playing two, maybe even three games a week for the next mm-hmm. couple weeks. Obviously, you can't play that front three. There has to be some rotation at some point. And the only logical way we can rotate the squad is if we somehow incorporate our two strikers into the equation. So maybe for the next month, I don't think we're going to see it as much, but definitely in the big games. And like you said, the teams that are going to come at us and the teams that are going to attack us, yeah, we have to play Hazard at the false nine just so we can have some sort of control on the game, but also not somebody who's completely wasteful up front, like an Alvaro Morata or... Uh, a Giroud as of late. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the importance of having a striker, specifically man on Man City's front, right? So uh, Aguero's been out, and thank God he was out against us because if they had a natural striker in that game, I feel like they could have bagged a couple goals easy. But um, Sterling started at the number nine. Pep switched it around. I th- Mares was playing there a bit in the first half, I noticed. And then uh, he tried to bring on Gabriel Jesus, who was awful, just like his eyebrows. <laughs> um, but 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 we saw their impact. I mean, they're basically toothless. They lacked a consistent runner across the face of goal for tap-ins because Man City are tap-in merchants, right? That's all they do. They ping the ball around. They draw you out of position. They play a they play a a, 
uh, a 90 degree ball right across the face of the ball uh, of the goal and they get tap-ins that's what they do so i mean we saw the impact that it had on city the impact it had on chelsea not having a striker on the pitch we looked more fluid we actually <laughs> had counter-attacking pace uh hazard was able to do whatever the fuck he wanted he dropped in and created almost as like a number 10 and he wasn't really our highest player up the pitch for most of the game at least when we were in possession he was dropping in he was he was drawing uh the 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 city center backs out of position and people bash chelsea for lacking this whole killer instinct i'm using my air quotes aka a proper false or a proper number nine um we somehow still found ways to create chances um but generally when we do have our strikers we can't score them um, but when we don't have a striker, we score. And then City, on the other hand, without Aguero, looked no different than us in those matches we dropped points in, um, where we had a Alvaro Morata or Giroud playing, <laughs> and we just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn door. Or, or what's the saying? You couldn't hit a barn door with a ban- something or a cow's ass with a banjo. There we go. Uh, but anyways, basically for City, there was no point of reference. There was no consistent goal scorer. They were a completely different team, and for me, this match proved that. And I actually watched their match midweek against uh, against Watford, and they were comfortable most of the match. And then I believe in like the 82nd or 83rd minute, Decore got his goal. All of a sudden, Watford had City pinned on their heels. City missed so many opportunities that game because they didn't have a striker that was in form. So my question, uh, in Pep's system, and how similar it is to Sarri's, is it just as fragile without a without a striker? I know this is a city based question, but I mean yeah. this is just this is just something that, that that that's interesting to me. I'm sure it's going to be interesting to our listeners as well. Yeah, I think the the main issue was the fact that okay, you don't have Aguero, and for some reason he didn't start with Gabriel Jesus. I think the issue was more about the fact that Raheem Sterling, who was in the middle was not operating as much in the middle. Like that guy was drifting wide, which was just congesting areas, which would make it easier for us to defend. So Mm -hmm. because those guys are being selfish in terms of what they wanted to do versus what the team needed them to do, that's where we capitalized. So like there was still, you know, City still had their chances where my, you know, I kind of gasped for a second, like where they usually put those away. Like uh, there was a ball played to Bernardo Silva over the top or yeah, to Bernardo Silva over the top that like he somehow managed to to bring down. But like you said, we uh, just not having that guy that takes those shots usually might have been it. But I just think that their buildup was different just because they didn't have a guy who was doing the selfless work that a middle striker needs to do to open up the space for the guys in the wings. Um, You can't be taking 10 touches in the middle of the field as a, as a striker in a front three, you need to kind of make a decision in those first three seconds. Like Aguero puts his head down, takes one touch and shoots. Uh, Raheem Sterling's not that guy. Um, and we were not, and we weren't, weren't a gullible enough opposition for him to do his typical thing and beat us. So yeah, I think that if he can't get his players to do what's best for the team and, and you have, you know, these wingers playing in the middle, trying to play hero ball, then Pep's got a you know a couple questions to ask from his own team. All right, so I mean I I guess that pretty much covers the city match. Um, 
Ooh, couple, wait, one last thing. Yeah. Shout out to Psalm for being the only guy who predicted Chelsea winning 2-0 versus uh, Man City in this game. Re- remember my pessimism? <laughs> remember all of our pessimism? I mean, ye of little faith. And then we, we had Psalm, and we were like, Psalm, what are you saying? And he got it right. It's unbelievable. And and, and this guy got too shit-faced to, uh, to wake up for the match. <laughs> and he actually, he actually overslept. And woke up like midway through the second half and is like, oh, fuck yeah, we're winning. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this? What was your what was your rea- initial reaction after the match? I mean, obviously you were excited. Yeah. What, what was it more of you being in a state of shock? Because I, <laughs> for me, there was three things that I noticed. I noticed that all this talk about Sterling being, you know, the favorite for player of the year and blah, 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 and he's great. And don't get me wrong, Sterling is a great player, but I think in this match, it proved that Hazard is just in a different class and that he's way more versatile than Sterling because they both started out of position in the same position. Um, I, I, I noticed that City's really no different than us without a goal scoring number nine. And, mm-hmm. you know, we spoke about that. But the last thing is something that it, 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 it I don't know how else to say it besides like it's one of those things where you kind of cream yourself like after the match is over (laughs) because it's like the sense of relief but also like you have this weight lifted off your shoulder because sorry ball can be gritty and it can be nasty and guess what I fucking love it I loved every second of that match I loved the hard tackles I loved closing City down in, in in between the lines. I just loved the energy of the players, the attitude of the players, the atmosphere besides those like four racist cunts in the front row. I mean, there was just so much about this game that I loved, but the grit and the nastiness, that is that is vintage classic Chelsea. That's a Chelsea I grew up with. So it was just great to see that, yeah, we have sorry ball. We can be pretty. But at the same time, if we got a team like Man City coming at us and we know that we're going to let them have a little bit of the possession, but we're going to sit in and we're going to make your life a living fucking hell. And that's exactly what we did. So shout out to Chelsea. You guys you guys have this – Chelsea has this weird way of making me – um uh, uh, of making me want to walk in front of a uh, making me want to walk in front of like a a moving train <laughs> but a couple days later making me want to splurge and buy a last minute flight to london so i can you know get absolutely shit faced in a pub with all the other chelsea fans so it's just god it, it's so bipolar such a bipolar club but such a chelsea thing to do the just like just like bottling at the end of the season goes for Spurs, us having like a just a bogey game when we at the worst time and then responding in the way we did is as Chelsea as it gets. But my last thoughts on this is I want to see I want to see us deploy this maybe against a middle side team just to get a, a feel of how strong the strikerless front three is. After a second viewing, I still don't know if technically again maybe it's because of City's pressing. And just what was given to us. I don't know if it was really a false nine. I don't know. Hazard didn't drop that deep to get the ball. So I thought he was just playing a striker. I felt like he was the furthest up the pitch. Yes, he was a focal point. But again, he wasn't coming so far back. And I just think that might be the fact that we were trying to possess so from so deep that it felt like he was so far forward. Um, but I just want to see it a little bit more before I'm like, yeah, let's just do this every week. And then you touched on it. The... It sucks that 
we can't have this whole week about speaking about like, oh man, this game because four guys decided to be extremely racist. And props to Raheem Sterling for for handling it like like a man and not yeah. just uh, reacting. But also a shout out to Chelsea for for banning those guys and eventually banning them for life because I don't see it going any other way. But they quickly reacted to it. Uh, yes, people quickly want to say that all Chelsea fans are racist and things like that. But one thing that Chelsea has done recently is, is try to fight all this sort of hate in the game, uh, anti-Semitism, yeah. anti-racism, even with the LGBT community. And I mean, you know, neither of us are white. We've, we've had our fair share of racism at some point directed at us, but the, the, the crap these guys take, uh, it, it goes, it goes above and beyond what any human being should face. So, um, sorry, Raheem Sterling, that you had to deal with that. And at the same time, thank you, Chelsea, for trying to make an, a positive change in, in today's game. Yeah, see, that's something that's really sad for me is because, like, when you really look at it uh, through a microscope, th- there's a bunch of Chelsea fans sitting in the front row yelling at somebody that's doing their job. And, I mean, I mean, from a professional standpoint, that's how I'm looking at it, is you can't yell at someone for doing his job. <laughs> like, like, like it's, if you're not his boss, shut your mouth, sit down. You can call him any name in the book. You could call him an idiot. You can tell it. You could scream at him and tell him he sucks. You can, you can say anything. But the second you bring something as personal as a race or a religion or an ideology or whatever it may be, um, the second you bring that in, you look like the idiot. And I think that's what those right. fans are starting to feel right now because guess what? They're not allowed to go to any Chelsea game ever again at Stamford Bridge. So uh, to those Chelsea fans, you could suck it. And on behalf of all the other Chelsea fans, um, we proudly disown you, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you said it. Raheem Sterling did respond very professionally. Um, he did a, a lot, a lot of professional athletes would stoop down to their level just out of, you know, being a reactionary, angry person in the moment. And for Raheem With Sterling, reason. To, exactly. And, and, and for Raheem Sterling to keep his composure and just turn and, and, and smile and laugh because he knows that those guys are fucking idiots, uh, prop props to him. So I, I hope he doesn't experience that again. Um, but yeah, moving on. We have our quick thoughts portion, and uh, we have a couple, we have a couple uh, Roman's Empire followers slash uh, Twitter legends, I guess you could call them now, right? <laughs> because I mean, they're tweeting at us all the time. We even have some of these guys the sliding in our DMs on the regular. So first up, and as always, I always try to include his tweets first. Uh, Nick Lenartsen, our Swedish friend from Switzerland. Swiss. Wait, what? Swedish yeah. from Switzerland? Okay, yep. cool. He's a Swede that lives in Switzerland. I know. I, I I had to get clarification from the man himself. I didn't know that there were uh, Swedes in Switzerland, but apparently they are, and uh, they're Chelsea fans. So he asked, how shall we interpret the sign that Morata was not even on the bench? Board or coach decision? Hashtag gone? Um... For the game, I think it was a coaching decision. I think Sari said that he had to add more options for the wings because he was playing a strikerless front three. But big picture, I think Board is trying to just try to get some cash or some way of getting Morata out of the club. He's already been linked with loan moves away. 
Apparently, AC Milan is still interested in a loan with a buyout clause at the end of it all. Oh, God. So, How are so, they yeah. so stupid? Hey, they apparently they can... Two worst players. <laughs> but one of them... But Bakayoko is doing well, so maybe they can, you know, be the ones that actually end up winning with this. Who knows? But I really do think that this is on the board. I think Sari has spoken very clearly that he is still willing to work with Morata and that he hasn't changed that. But again... That's sorry. He's a coach. He sees himself as a coach, so he doesn't like to get into the behind-the-scenes business of it all. So I, I, there's a good chance if Morata really does leave in January, that means something big is happening. That's all I gotta say. Like, there's no way they just loan him out and then we're like sitting here and we didn't make a signing at a wing spot or a striker spot. So whether it's recalling someone or signing someone new, if Morata leaves, something is happening at Chelsea. Period. You know, I'm I'm good. I was gonna respond to that, but you pretty much said everything I was thinking. If you could get rid of Maratha <laughs> for anything in and around ten million, give or take, for what we paid for him, you do it. Even if you take it at a loss, you got to get the guy out. You know, we hear all this Mourinho calling Pogba virus in a dressing room. I I really don't see Maratha as any different. Um, yeah, maybe he is a character in the dressing rooms. He, you know, maybe his teammates do get along with him. Maybe that part of it's not as publicized. But on the pitch, I mean, we talked about it before. There's, there's, there's guys that like Willian in two separate matches, a West Ham match and the other one that escapes my head. He could have played Maratha in on both occasions, but decided not to because it's a lack of trust. I mean, there's how long could your striker go without scoring goals before your wingers that are basically your supply line say, you know what, fuck you, I'm going to do this on my own because you can't do it. So, yeah, get Maratha out. Let's bring in another striker. Um, and, yeah, I mean, let's move on to the next question. So we had a question from at Black Emoji. Uh, I think this is the second time that he's on our show but shout out to black emoji thanks for reaching out he asked what's the point of keeping hazard while he continues to sing this real madrid is my dream song what are your thoughts on cashing in and using the money to rebuild the squad i want to take this one first andres because this is very near and dear to my heart i went on a little twitter rant earlier today there's a lot of people that are talking about or a lot of people that are starting this hazard out brigade and saying you know let's get rid of him if he doesn't want to be at the club and blah blah i'm just gonna say this for the last, let's say, two-plus years, we've been hearing murmurings about Real Madrid possibly being interested in his services and whatnot, and rightly so. He's one of the top talents in the world. But what did he say in these quotes that were taken out of context that is any different factually, to use the word that Dan Silver used, that are factually different than anything else he has said prior Nothing. absolutely nothing yeah <laughs> and see and and that's my point so i mean he could go and say yeah real madrid you know that's the club i always dreamed of playing for well i'd be a liar if i said i didn't dream of playing for real madrid when i was younger or barcelona or bayern munich or juventus i mean any of those historic clubs you always think like damn if someone came up to me and asked me do you want to play for us yeah sure well, <laughs> well why not why wouldn't right. you want to play for real madrid so Going to the question, what are my thoughts on cashing in and using the money to rebuild the squad? Look, we have gotten more from Eden Hazard than we could have dreamed of. We bought a young, flashy winger from the French League, from Lille, 
who lit it up, won them the league title. We thought that we were just getting a really, really quality player. We had no idea that we were in for possibly one of the top three to top five players in the world at the moment. So we got all we could out of the guy. If he wants to leave, good riddance. We'll get a great price for him. He's at the top of his game. We're not going to sell him cheap regardless. So, I mean, if we have that two or 175 to 200 million in the bank now to spend and rebuild the squad, that's great because now Sari could get his signings. But at the same time, you're never going to replace the guy. There's nobody on the market right now that's as good as him and that's going to do what he's doing. So for that price, if you're right? Chelsea, exactly. So if you're Chelsea, you have to keep him as long as possible. If he wants to leave, good riddance, say la vie, have fun and with your new life in Madrid. We wish you all the best. Hope you win some trophies. But for now, he's a Chelsea player. So this, these boo boys, these people that want him out of the club, just remember what he did for you. Remember the goals against Tottenham. Remember the goal against Arsenal. Remember the moments against Manchester United. Remember the moments in in all the big games that we've ever played since he joined the fucking team. And then look me straight in the face and tell me you still want to sell him. It just it doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. I, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. And, and it's not a knock on black emoji. Like, like I understand, like when I see these quotes, I always think to myself, like, I do believe that he wants to be in Madrid. I mean, who doesn't believe he wants to be in Madrid, but it, it, you have to look at the possible, like, yes, he wants to play in Madrid, but how realistic is it for him to go there? That's mainly yeah. what it comes down to for me. So I can understand why there's confusion, but if you're part of the hazard out brigade, I mean, just, I you probably want to reevaluate your options. Yeah, I guess I'm just more tired about the media just continuing to ask that question. Like, we're not in a transfer period. Like, there's, you know, we're in the middle of, you know, pushing for top four. We just beat the best team in England, and that's what you're asking. And I just wish, like, man, I just want, like, Hazard to do a cheeky response and just be like, oh, just look at the last 18 interviews. Like, just do something like that. Like, at some point, I guess for me, it's just like, it, it. yes, nothing has changed of what he's saying. And he always does it with a smile. But it's like, man, I really just don't want you to say anything else because it goes viral. It's all up on my screen. And it's like, come on, man. Like, just just do you, do you think that do you think that he really means it when he says it, though? I mean, to an because extent, I do. to an extent. Yeah, because he said, like. The one difference that I did see this time was like something's like, you know, I don't want to look at my career with any sort of regret. So he might think like, you know, he needs to come to a final decision this summer. Just realistically, he's turning, what, 28. So, yeah. like, I think he just knows that, you know, at, an, at a certain point, Madrid won't come knocking because at that point, it just doesn't make sense business wise. So, no, I'm not hazard out. I just don't want to see these things anymore like i tweeted earlier like we get it dude you like the club i like peanut butter but if somebody asked me about peanut butter 20 times in three months i'd be like why do you keep asking me the same thing and just laugh it off like i just want him to do something like that he already said he's not leaving in january so i'm not worried about that part i just rather this just you know hey guys we spent all fall talking about this can we ask something else maybe about my christmas vacation i don't know something like that just to kind of just you know, turn the page. We know you want to go there. We understand that Madrid is very enticing. It's just like, I just don't want to hear it anymore. I want him to say, hey, I'm focused on this season. We'll talk about it in the summer. Like, just just end it. He, but, he could easily just tell them, like, let's not talk about it but anymore. But he won't because he wants to leave. Yeah. And that's the thing. He won't. 
See, I feel like the media just thinks that, hey, there's a Belgian who wants to go to Real Madrid. Let's poke him with this stick as many times as we could until he says, fuck you, and flies to Madrid where my stick can't reach him. <laughs> well, Courtois is learning it the hard way that the stick follows you wherever you go. But it's not working with Hazard because I feel like they've been bothering Hazard longer than Madrid even or, – or, or than the Spanish media even thought about bothering Courtois. And a Courtois move happened before Hazard. So I think he wants to go. But if you're asking me if he's going to go, I honestly don't think he's going to leave. Um, I think I think eventually – I think this Man City win, I think this is going to be a springboard. Sort of like we talked about it last week how – or two weeks ago how the Tottenham defeat um, was like sort of reminiscent or it could be reminiscent of that Arsenal defeat where Conte switched at halftime to a back mm-hmm. three and then our whole season turned around. I think this victory could possibly do the same thing. And I think once sorry ball starts functioning at like 75 or even 80%, Hazard's going to be like, man, I mean, this is fun. Why would I want to yeah. go? And, and I, I guess I'm a little bit more worried just personally, just think like, man, they're, Yes, Madrid's not good right now, but Florentino Perez is not going to have a repeat of this season, so he'll splash whatever money he needs to. I still yeah. think Neymar is the right option, like the correct business and everything Madrid wants in a player, especially after losing such a big ego in Ronaldo. Oh, and, you don't think Mbappe? Uh, I don't think PSG. I, I think PSG cuts ties with Neymar before they cut ties with Mbappe. And I know that's a totally different discussion, but in terms of Hazard, like I said, like. I think he really is going to wait till the very last day of the season to actually sit down and think about it just because like you said, we have, we do have January to come. We now know we can play without a striker in the front of the, in the front three. So yeah, we, we don't know midweek. I would have told you hazards gone. Like after that Wolves performance, I'm like, man, if he still wants to stick around to this when he could be playing a bunch of, you know, bad Spanish players week to week and he gets to do his fancy stuff and have fun. Madrid looks even better. But after then this victory, I'm like, okay, I'm back to where I was a week ago. So yeah, I, I think Hazard, honestly, like he said, is going to think about it eventually. I just don't think that's going to happen until the end of the season. And again, I see us being in the top four race. I see us winning one trophy at least. So I don't see it being like, yeah, I'm jumping ship. This is going nowhere. I just think he's going to have a hard look in the mirror. What do I want? What are my possibilities at Chelsea? And what are going to be my possibilities at Madrid? And we won't know until July comes around. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so much for quick thoughts, but I mean, it's, Sorry. it's an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. I went on a rant too. I mean, it's an interesting conversation to have because I know every Chelsea fan seems to be, uh, every, every Chelsea fan seems to have a different opinion about this. Um, it's, it's, it, it's confusing. Um, and yeah, I, I, at some point you want him to say, Hey, like, why don't you ask me about the team I'm on right now? Why don't you ask me about the title challenge at hand? Well, you know, right. but I feel like he's not saying that because he wants to leave, whether that actually happens or not, who really knows? Um, so moving on to the next question at SW six HS one, AKA Stanford bridge, the greatest place on earth. Uh, the blue version of Disneyland. Uh, <laughs> does the City game starting 11 prove that Sari has lost some faith in our two forwards? Uh, and the second part is how likely do you guys think it will be that a new striker will be brought in in January? Okay. 
Um, yes, I think that Sarri is starting to lose faith in our front two. I, or two options up front because at the beginning of the season, he was saying that he was optimistic with what he had and that the goals would come. We are about halfway through the season and they haven't. So I think he's thinking to himself, well, time to try something new. It worked against City. I think he will continue to do that for the tougher games. And then in terms of January, I think it'll depend on how the Champions League groups play out. Um, one of these bigger sides that have a striker who maybe don't make the cut to the Champions League might be on their way out. So if it Inter stays in the Champions League, not a chance Icardi looks elsewhere. Um, if PSG stays in the Champions League, not a chance Cavani goes elsewhere. Um, Martial still hasn't signed anything with Man U, but I really doubt we'll get a Man U player in January. Um, and then I kind of mentioned this. Leon hasn't closed the door on Fakir. I know he's not a striker, but he could play in the false nine, bringing Hazard back to his preferred left side. So if anything, I think Fakir is the most likely. I still don't think that's very realistic for a January purchase, though. Yeah, I think I think we need to look more into the realms of like that mid to lower table uh, Premier League side. I mean, th- 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 we all know the names that have been thrown around. Callum Wilson, Arnautovic, um, guys of that caliber, guys of that ilk. Um, but is it me or does it seem like we buy a new backup striker like every year? I, I feel like I feel like we buy some sort of new shiny option up front for like you know a a, a reasonably low transfer fee and uh, it just doesn't sort of pan out for us. Yeah, um, I don't want to spend 15 million on a six month player. I rather exactly recall Tammy or recall uh, Mishi who's not even playing that much and and just kind of hope that it works. If it doesn't. Big whoop. Mishi wasn't playing much in Valencia. He can, you know, quote-unquote, rot on the bench. Summer, he'll get his move. Have you seen uh, Tammy Abraham's, like, highlight videos of this season? I mean, have you seen, like, like, like the extended highlights on YouTube for Villa? Because I know it's hard to get the championship games here. But, yes, Tammy Abraham is scoring a lot of goals. But he's also missing a lot of sitters. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I, I, feel like, I feel like he just might be... Uh, not necessarily an English version of Murata, but like there are shades of that. I, I think I think the only way Chelsea go after a striker in January is if we go after someone like a Callum Wilson or like an Arnautovic, someone that has proven that he could score goals at a high clip. I don't think Bournemouth get rid of Callum Wilson, and I also don't mm-hmm. think Arnautovic gets sold to a London rival. So uh, I mean, yeah, we do have to look elsewhere. Maybe Possibly a pre-deal. Joseph Martinez. <laughs> I would. I mean, selfishly, I would love that, but I highly doubt You'd it. You'd be the first oh, one to buy his jersey. Oh, easily. But um, I think that maybe we're not known for doing this, but like a pre-deal where you sign someone and you have their signature in January, but they don't come till the summer. I feel like that could be a realistic option. Yeah. I just don't think we have the business mindset. Like we, Marina's not gonna do that. She's no. she's not the most like business savvy. And, you know, like you said, I, I really don't want a mid table option. And the ones that are there, I don't see them selling to us. So, you know, if I think we can survive this season and, and make top four with what we have, especially if this strikerless front three works. So I say be patient unless we buy some sort of stellar right winger. 
which lets us do the strikerless front three with even more frequency. All right. Moving on to uh, – it's not a question, but I left it at the end because I love this guy, and, uh, and, and, and he's saying exactly what's on all of our minds. At Chelsea Eric tweeted at us. He said, no question, just fuck Man City. And there's only one shade of blue that matters. I wanted to end our quick thoughts on that note because he's right. <laughs> fuck Man City. And there is only one shade of, bl- of blue that matters, and that's a Chelsea blue – not the blue of Everton, not the blue of Man City, Chelsea blue. That's the only blue, baby. Um, moving on. Uh, we do have two matches coming up, so I do want to kind of fly through the rest of it because I, I know we are a little bit uh, low on time. So Chelsea versus Mulvidi or Videophone or whatever their previous 18 names were in the last, what, 20 years or so. <laughs> uh, we beat them pretty easily at home. Loftus Cheek loves playing against them. I mean, wh- what are you predicting? I Obviously, think we qualified for the group. We're going to play yeah. it like a rotated side. I'm predicting Ampadu actually gets to start this game. That's my big prediction. See, I and, would love that. Uh, me too, man. I hope so. Especially because we are about to start the winter time. I think it's perfect for him to play from the beginning. And Calum hudson will start again, and he'll score again. Ooh. See, I like that. I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea. Um, and I think we're going to get two goals from the midfield. I don't go. know who, but I think we're going to get two goals from the midfield. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Chelsea versus Brighton. Um, <laughs> they're an interesting team. Uh, usually when I do these match previews, I, I do my research, and it, most of the teams that I do research on are pretty predictable. You know, the teams like Southampton's that can't really score goals, or the teams like Burnley that can't really defend or the teams like Fulham that aren't really a team. And, you know, like (laughs) most teams are pretty predictable. I have a good idea, a good sense of, you know, who they are and their identity going in. Brighton's a team I'm not too familiar with, maybe because they're a little bit newer in the Premier League and their culture is new to me. But um, I did my research and something interesting came up. I mean, they're 13th in the table. They just lost to Burnley at Turf Moor 1-0. the last match that they won was against Crystal Palace, and Brighton actually had a man sent off in that game. They still managed to win 3-1. Uh, and then the game before that, I'm forgetting who they played. It might have been Tottenham, but Brighton had a man sent off. So, I mean, they get a lot of cards. They're a physical team, but they love their fucking set pieces. Their 19 goals were scored off set pieces this season. Um, and... At the forefront of it is the trifecta of of Lewis Dunk, Shane Duffy, and Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray with eight goals this season. If you're wondering who the fuck Lewis Dunk and uh, Shane Duffy are, uh, they're both of their center backs. One of them has three goals. The other one has two. They love their set pieces. So, I mean, I, I guess, Andres, I mean, what do we have to do to win? We probably want to play Giroud. Because he's tall, and, they have and big he can so put him so put him on to defend on set pieces. Because one thing that we love to screw up on is set pieces defensively. So I feel like let's see. I think Emerson will play midweek. So yeah, Alonzo will be back in the lineup. That'll be another bit of height. Um, honestly, this going back to the Wolves game and going back to what Mauricio Sarri said. We just need to be patient. 
be patient and trust what you guys are doing is going to pay off. Because if we start trying to lump the long ball because, oh, my God, I can't stand these little side-to-side passes anymore or whatever, that's where they're going to get us. Because then we'll be caught out of position because we didn't do the things we need to do to build up play, and that's where we'll get screwed. So to me, it's just trust the process kind of thing. It's a 90-minute game. We love to score in the last 10 minutes. So, yes, if 80 minutes haven't come through, like – just keep at it. It's going to come. Like, something's going to give players, especially, like, you know how demoralizing it is to play a football game, be 15 minutes and not touch the ball? Somebody's going to run out of position, and that's where we, we you know, uh, take our chance. So, just, yes, like you said, avoid, let, do not let Brighton have a set piece ever. Just don't let them. And, and then, Pascal, uh, you, you said it before the podcast started. Pascal Gross is like an assist machine, but like on set pieces, especially. Oh, he's fantastic. And if he's got these giant targets, it, it makes his jo- job a little bit easier. So he he was double digit assists last season too in his first season in the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't it, he's probably on pace again this season. Yeah, avoid avoid the set pieces. Glenn Murray is like the Jennifer Aniston of forwards where each year he just gets better and better. He's <laughs> just better. not as pretty. <laughs> Definitely not as pretty. <laughs> but I don't think Anyone in Brighton will care if he score how pretty he is if he scores a winner. So just avoid yeah. avoid the set pieces and just believe in what you're doing. Don't lose your identity just because it hasn't uh, happened in the first 10, 20 minutes. So that's that's my my take on the game. But I do think we we can get a shutout out of this game as long as we don't lose our own cool. So I mean I mean give me a score line. I say we come in. Big. I, I say we get three zero. Oh, nice. See, I got I got I got two nil, and I think Ross Barkley starts, and uh, I think Ross Barkley gets back on the score sheet. I think it's actually pivotal for Ross Barkley to start. I think it's like a no brainer. So like if if Loftus Cheek starts uh, against Molvidi, um, we're going to see Ross Barkley at the weekend, or vice versa, or we might see both of them, and one of them come off a little bit early, but. Bros Barkley seems to be like our Premier League guy, mm-hmm. at least for sorry. So I think he gets back on the score sheet in this game. He's so good on set pieces. I think having him in a game like this where we're, where we might be defending a few set pieces will be crucial just to have that extra height. He yeah. he seems to have this way of finding the ball um, and being in the right spot at the right time. So that could come in handy. Yeah, and, and with Kovacic's injury, you know, Barkley might get back-to-back starts. Oh, um, yeah. So if, if, if Kovacic's injury is anything to worry about, then we'll probably see that midfield three of Sesk, Barkley, and Loftus-Cheek. And then come the weekend, we'll probably see Jorginho, Conte, and Barkley or Loftus-Cheek. I, I agree with you, though. I think Barkley could be the guy in this game, especially with a team that's most likely going to sit back. There's no reason to, to not play Barkley, who may struggle with a press. So, yeah, play him. If he scores, great. I'm, I'm all for it. Well... Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, a few things before we sign off. I've been really bad at plugging in the pod and plugging in our Twitter handle. Um, so make sure you follow us uh, at Romans Empire Pod. We're all over Twitter. Um, we're super active. I try to respond to everybody I could. Um, for those of you that did reach out to me and that I didn't respond to, my apologies. Um, but yeah, uh, look for new content. It's going to come soon. I know over the Christmas period and the holiday period, uh, we 
as in Andres, Sam, and I are going to uh, really start pushing for some new content and uh, and some more creative content, just something a little bit different to throw at you guys. So uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback, and it's been really positive. So we just kind of want to keep that tide going by expanding our brand because that's what we do. We're learners, and we're overachievers, and we're actually not. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that brings us to the end of today's episode. Before I talk myself uh, to death um, – We'll see you guys next week, and until then, keep the blue flag flying high.